You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back. It's Mariners Pod, Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here again. The red-hot Seattle Mariners continue to roll, and we have a lot to talk about as the M's. Well, they take the first game of another series. They continue to do that. They just are so good in game one of series. They take another game one. Unbelievable. They are playing at such a high level right now in all phases. You know, at the plate, defensively, rotation, bullpen. I mean, up and down. Just Finding ways to win. I mean, that's what good teams do, and the Mariners are doing just that. They are finding ways to win on a daily basis. They've won four in a row, 17-11 and 11 now. Just playing some great baseball. 17 wins, second most in the American League behind the White Sox, who have won 19 already. But, man, just absolutely rolling. I have some other numbers to get to you, but... This is a a huge podcast coming your way. So this is what we have. Good stuff coming uh, in terms of highlights and reaction from the ballgame. Not a surprise. Another great ballgame that the Mariners win. Also, Shannon Dreher will sit down with Leonis Martin, which is a great conversation. He's been such a big part of things for the Mariners. Felix Benel is going to be here. And for those not familiar with Felix, a local historian, Northwest historian, he's fantastic. He did a piece on the Seattle Pilots, which is great. So we're going to hear that and have a conversation with Felix. Uh, As you know, anyone that's listened to this for any length of time, I love baseball history. And I think this story is fantastic. The Pilots around for one year before the Mariners. So... We're going to hear from Felix here coming up in a few. Brian McTaggart will be here as well. Aaron Goldsmith sits down with him. We get a look at the Houston Astros. Big things expected from the Astros this season stumbled out of the gates, so we'll get a good close look at the Houston Astros as well. So all that is coming up. Again, a giant podcast, but let's get to the highlights. Oh, one more thing before the highlights that I do want to mention. Actually, two things before the highlights that I do want to mention. One thing is I wrote out some of my thoughts on the Mariners' offense so far and really dove pretty deep into the numbers. I'll mention a couple of them as we move through this, but if you want to see my layout, you can go to the Mariners' blog. You can Google it or marinersblog.mlblogs.com. You can find it there the corner of Edgar and Dave. And you can subscribe to and get it right to your inbox. I write there from time to time. And actually, I recommend subscribing because there's great stuff every day from the lineups and what's going on and the game notes and everything else. If you're listening to this, I think you'll be into the Mariners blog. But I write once in a while there, and I just kind of detailed what's happening right now with the Mariners offense, especially in comparison 
to last year. And, you know, the Mariners come into today with the, the second most runs in the American League. And a lot of it goes back to what Jerry DePoto and Scott Service talked about before the season, and it's controlling the zone. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Controlling the zone. And that's exactly what they're doing. They've shaved their strikeout rate. They've increased their walk rate. They're swinging at less pitches out of the strike zone. All these have added to a really good on-base percentage, one of the best in baseball. But I kind of dial it out. I think you'll be interested in it. But the offense is rolling right along. And you look at this four-game road trip so far, 27 runs scored, 53 hits, 16 of those are extra base hits. They've drawn nine walks, all this in four games. They're just crushing it right now. The offense is really rolling. So one more thing before we get going with the uh, highlights. The Mariners, like me, thought it was pretty cool how many people are listening and how many different places. Uh, they're kind of blown away by it. So they want me to write a story on it, so I'm going to do that. And I have many of your tweets and emails already, but if you haven't sent something in where you're listening to, uh, listening from, not to, listening from, uh, send it my way because it's pretty cool to see different states, different countries, you know, everything else. So at Gary Hill Jr., you can email me as well, GaryHillPXP at gmail.com. I'll be using some of them in the stories as well and certainly mapping out where people are listening from, which I think is very cool. So so do the Mariners. It's pretty awesome. Okay, let's get to the ball game now as the Mariners taking on the Houston Astros. Game one of a four-game series and this one ended up being a pretty interesting ball game. It kind of gets shoved by the wayside because of the heroics late in the ball game. But Wade Miley ended up pitching a very good game again. Six innings, five hits, two runs, a couple walks, five strikeouts. Gave up a long ball on 92 pitches. I think you'll take that start from just about anyone in that ballpark against that team. Very dangerous team in that ballpark. They have a lot of power and he kept them in the yard and certainly gave the Mariners a chance to win. Meanwhile, Davinsky getting the start for the Astros. He goes six, gives up six hits, one run, six strikeouts, 103 pitches. And that's been a theme of this year so far. Not one starter has pitched more than seven innings against the Mariners. And 20 times they've gone over 100 pitches. So the Mariners really making the starters work. And that's what they did in this case. In fact, the Astros had a lead, the Mariners uh, scoring in the third inning to even things up, making the score one-to-one. Robinson Cano comes up with a big base hit. The pitch to Cano. He swings, breaks his bat, hits a ground ball. Right side, underneath, wide wood down to his chest. Going to get to an Oki into third. He comes pedaling around third base. He scores standing. Behind him, Seth Smith. He holds up at third. And on the first pitch, Robinson Cano ties this game up with two outs. One apiece, top of the third inning. And then Houston would get their second run in the sixth through a 2-1 to lead going into the seventh. So the Mariners facing the Astros' bullpen. Bases loaded. Seth Smith, the batter, against Tony Sipp. And this matchup was really interesting. And we're going to hear the skipper, Scott Service, talk about it in a moment because this is one of those in-depth, you know, thinking ahead two, three moves decisions. Seth Smith stays in against the lefty, and it paid off big time. 
The 2-2. Swing, ground ball, right side and through. Altuve can't get there. Marte scores. Martin comes sprinting around third base. He scores standing. Seth Smith brings in two. The Mariners have taken the lead. Aoki into third base. It's 3-2 Mariners in the top of the seventh inning. The first hit for Seth Smith off of a lefty this year comes at a very good time. He was 0 for 5 previously, but he's left in for that A-B, and he comes through knocking into. On the other side, though, Jose Altuve, who was just a big problem all night. 4 for 4, two RBIs, two runs scored, whacked a home run, absolutely carried the Astros, had half their hits, had two of their three ribbies, scored two of their three runs. He did it all at the top of the order, as he usually does. He's, by the way, I know last time the Mariners played the Astros, I paced out Altuve for what he's on pace for this season. So he's still, this is what, this is what he's on pace for this year. I mean, it's circus, circus numbers. He's on pace to bat 330 with 50 home runs, 106 RBIs, and steal 56 bases while collecting 212 hits and hits 78 doubles. He's having a ridiculous start. That's what he's on pace for, and an OPS of 1.104. I mean, he is unbelievable right now. And, man, Mariners can't really stop him, but no one else can either. So he ties up the game. So it's 3-3 going into the ninth inning. And this is when the Mariners' own second baseman, Robinson Cano, would come through. Only one second baseman can start in the All-Star game, right? I guess that conversation's a little bit down the road. But here he comes, Robinson Cano. Marte would strike out against Gregerson, who's been nails against the Mariners in particular, but everyone in general. Marte strikes out. Martin singles. Steals second, which was big time. Oki walks. Smith singles again. So the base is loaded. Robinson Cano, the hitter, and he comes up huge. The pitch on the way to Cano. Swing and a fly ball deep center field. Back of the ball. Gomez going back. This one is on the track. Bounces off the wall up Tells Hill. Here comes Martin. Here comes Oki. Here comes Smith. The throw to the plate. Wide of the mark. Three runs score on a three-run double by Robinson Cano up to Tells Hill and straight away center field. He clears the bases and almost everybody scores. So big time. Robinson Cano drives in three, clears the bases. By the way, Robinson Cano, your major league RBI leader. He's got 30 now. Keep this in mind, too. It's May 6th today. When this month started, Cano was batting 226. He goes into the game today batting 287. He is blazing hot. Everything he hits is hard, just laser beams all over the place. He drives in three there. Steve Ciszek comes on. He has been nails, and he closes down another win for the Mariners. The pitch of the way, swinging a fly ball, shallow left field coming in. Norio Oki, he's there and makes the catch, and the Mariners win it tonight, six to three, over the Houston Astros. And the Mariners start off this road trip by winning four in a row. They take Game One of the four-game series tonight here in Houston after winning three, all three in Oakland. Yeah, great stuff on this road trip. Sweep aside the A's, take game one of four against the Houston Astros, off and running. 
Here's what Scott Service had to say after the ball game, and he's t- going to talk about Seth Smith and leaving him in there against the lefty. I-, I love hearing the details of this. Here it is. You know, we, we, we had a lot of good at-bats. Uh, obviously, get to, I thought Aoki was uh, great all night, getting on base. Uh, see, Robbie got the huge hit. Uh, Seth Smith, uh, tough at-bat against a, a good left-handed pitcher. So, you know, it was all night, really. I, I thought we were uh, pretty consistent in our approach, and, you know, we continued to, um, you know, execute and get the big hit at the end of the game. Hey, the kid was pretty good against you for six innings. Then you got to their bullpen, some guys you knew. Yeah, you know, we, we talked a little, sometimes, you know, that, that first time around, you don't know the pitcher. It takes a little while. He does have a very good changeup. He's got good stuff. Um, he's had good minor league track record. Um, so, you know, I, I knew, you know, we were going to have to end for a, a battle there early, especially in you know, the guys just haven't seen him. So uh, I thought Miley did a good job uh, against a pretty good lineup. Uh, it was all right. He's in there tonight. And, uh, you know, got a couple balls up, but that little guy at second base is some kind of player. Uh, he, he just isn't, you know, not a good feeling when you see him walking to the plate. You just, you know, you don't know where to go or how to attack him, and he's really swinging the back. You mentioned the Smith guy. It's lefty on lefty. Take, take me through that a little bit. Why you, you had options. Yeah, no, we did. Um, you know, Sip is out there, but if you look in their bullpen, they have some quality right-handed pitchers, and they had one up, and if you're going to bring he comes in or if I pinch hit, you know, that's a, that's a matchup we want. So, you know, Smitty's done a good job against lefties. I thought he'd get a good, have a good at bat. He did have a good at bat, and he got a great result. A lot of times you have a good at bat and don't get a good result. But, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, trust our guys. And in that moment, I thought that was the right way to go. Yeah, it wasn't just the hit. That was just a pro AB from Seth Smith. It was off to a big start. He's been a big part of what the Mariners have done so far this year as they win again. And now tonight... Taiwan Walker will take the mound against Doug Fister. Walker with his 2-1 and one and sparkling 1.80 ERA. Saturday, by the way, 5-10 first pitch tonight. Saturday, 4-10. Nathan Carnes will take the ball against Dallas Keuchel. Mariners rough, uh, roughed him up last time. And then Iwakuma on Sunday, 11-10 first pitch against McHugh, who's had his struggles so far as ERA just a touch under seven so far this year. So the Mariners off and running. They take game one of the series. 17 and 11 now. Great start for the Mariners. Okay, here's what we're going to do now. Before we get to anything else, I want to play something real quick from Scott Service. Nice, uh, just quick, good story about Day Ho Lee that I find interesting. You know, sometimes, you know, even though the numbers or the, the, the average fan may sit back and look, well, this guy needs to hit in this spot, whatever, there is more that goes into it than that. And, you know, yesterday we were riding a hot hand on Deho Lee, and he'd swung the bat well, and, you know, we'd give him another shot and pay off for us. But uh, for the most part, you'll see me sticking to the numbers and, and, and trying and staying true to that. And, you know, we'll run our regular lineup out there tonight against right-handed pitching and, and be ready to get after it. Before that series got underway, you said you went out for dinner with Deho at a Korean restaurant in San Francisco. What did you find out about your big first baseman? Well, I knew he's got personality, big personality, but uh, it was a fun night. Tim Bogar and myself went out with uh, Deho and his interpreter, DJ, and went to a Korean restaurant, which they had all set up. Uh, Deho is, is quite the celebrity in Korea, and everybody knows about him. So uh, the owner of the restaurant was all excited to have us there. We had a fun time, uh, had some Korean food, which was great, actually, and, and uh, shared some stories, just baseball stuff, you know, about his career. He kind of started out as a pitcher. Uh, before he switched to, to hitting in the Korean League and then, you know, had some success and kind of that grew into going to Japan and, and all the experiences he's had along the way. So it was a fun night, and it's fun to get close to players and, and know a little bit more about them. Very cool story, I think, about Deho Lee, but also I love the insight on Scott's service and how he makes his decisions and 
how much his numbers and what else he's looking at, the other factors. I mean, it, it is it's a chess match when you're looking at all these matchups and making decisions late in ball games and he's really been able to push the right buttons. I, I think he's been brilliant with the bullpen so far and also, I mean, we've seen Deho Lee and Seth Smith staying in games and paying dividends. We've also seen the pinch hitters put up massive numbers so far and just the production up and down. So really working for the Mariners. Everything working for the Mariners right now. Speaking of right now, we're going to hand things over to Shannon Dreyer, a chance to catch up with Leonis Martin. Catching up with Leonis Martin, and Leonis, it has been so fun to watch you the last week. And out in the field last night, first inning, we see a ball going for center field. We see you turn. So many times we see once the center fielder turns and runs, the ball gets behind them. You track that ball down. How, how do you see that off of the bat? You know, this is something I've been working. Take a little long time, a little time to work, working on it in the offseason. And they came like uh, my hundred percent time to, you know, get the rhythm, get the timing in the in the fly ball. You know, try to prepare myself to one day trying to win the ball game. And then <laughs> the gold glove. Yeah, that's all. Gold glove is a goal for you. Yeah, yeah, and you know, at the same time, I do have my pitch, have my team. How about the center field here? How tough is it with kind of the overhang and everything else? It's kind of a different environment here. This is a weird ballpark, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, especially day game, it's really tough to play in the outfield. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have a weird sky, and you know. And even the night game too is is a little, it's a little a little bit weird to try the ball to because I don't know the stand is a little bit I don't know something happening is a little bit hard to to read the ball but you know to say thank you guys They've been doing really good so far. Let's get the ball in the glove. That's all you have to do. That's right, <laughs> and you know try to to say score run, try to hit uh, take a hit away away. You know. Hit taken away is almost a hit earned. (laughs) And you've been doing that, too. We've seen the pop. We've seen the home runs. But you're working on overall at the plate. You want to be complete up at the plate. What are some of the things that you've been working on with Edgar hitting-wise? You know, this is, first of all, this is a long way to go. It's a long season, you know. And this is a a lot of things to do, a lot of things to work. And, you know, I have to figure out my timing. That's what I've been working so far with Erga. And, you know, we trying to different way to get my timing. And, you know, I feel much better yesterday, even in the hit of home, but, you know, I got better on feeling home play. What are the things you do to get that timing? You know, get a rhythm, better rhythm with the pitcher, you know, try to dance a little bit, like keep, do, keep moving my... My serve home play, you know, that's what I'm trying to find the better rhythm. And that's good for you. Some guys have got to get up there and not move, but you, you need to be moving. Yeah, I have to be moved. I have to find a way to get a better timing. Lastly, last night you told reporters in the clubhouse, we are having so much fun. I haven't seen anything like this before. The feeling in here is fantastic. Describe kind of what it's been like the last three weeks for this team, just series after series after series. This is an amazing feeling. And you know the guy been here before, uh, say that before, and they never have this feeling that we have right now. And this is something that's gonna take the Seattle Mariners to the other level. You know we have like great communication, 
Yeah, we, we, everybody together, that's important to get to the other level. Oh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to watch you too. Thank you, Leonis. Thank you, thank you, anytime. Okay, so right now I'm going to play a piece from Felix Bennell about the Seattle Pilots, and then a conversation with Felix will follow. Enjoy. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Go, go, ye pilots. Da, 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 da. Go, go, ye pilots. And God, they went. <laughs> they did. That's 86-year-old Bill Shonley. He and Jimmy Dudley were the broadcast team for the Seattle Pilots, the Major League Baseball club that played here for just one season back in 1969. Now it's the third inning in a nothing-to-nothing ballgame, and you're now to bring you the action as Bill Shonley. Bill? All right, Jimmy, thank you very much. For California, the top three of the order once again, Alomar Spencer and Jim Fregosi. Sean Lee grew up outside of Philadelphia hearing legendary baseball voices like Mel Allen, Red Barber, and Bill Stern. He dreamed of one day being a big league broadcaster himself. He came to Seattle in the 1950s and broadcast a lot of local sports. Then came the chance of a lifetime. The city finally got a hold of a major league baseball franchise and as a relatively young man in those days, I got to be a Major League Baseball broadcaster with the Seattle Pilots. And I thought at that time, my goodness, I always enjoyed baseball and doing uh, the broadcast. I might be in baseball for the rest of my life, but it only lasted that uh, little over one year. The Pilots played just one solitary losing season here. Then they went bankrupt and left town. So the people, the major league folks from uh, from the American League, all got together and decided to take the franchise away. Seattle, God bless them, at the time tried their darndest to keep that franchise right where it was, because uh, Seattle, and the Northwest, they were in the major leagues as far as baseball were concerned. Well, it did not work out. There are a lot of things going on behind the scenes, but that's the basic story. So that the Seattle Pilots then became the Milwaukee Brewers. There were plenty of backroom and front office shenanigans that sent the Pilots on their way. But since voters in 1968 had approved the Kingdom based on having a team, a lawsuit against Major League Baseball got the Mariners in 1977. But all that was in the future. In 1969, the Pilots played at Six Stadium along Rainier Avenue, where Lowe's Home Improvement Store now stands. Six was built back in the 1930s for the Seattle Rainiers of the Pacific Coast League. Shanley says it had its own unique charm. Well, it, let's see, how do you describe it in this day and age? <laughs> it was nothing in those days, let, let's put it that way. The field itself, the playing surface was it was manicured to the nth degree everything was fine but had no seats to speak of you know there were no sweets no anything we had a hundred hot dog stands i guess you know and soda stands and things like that it was old school the characters were old school too including pilot's manager joe schultz joe schultz he was one of the greatest guys one of the great characters i've met and all the people that uh, I have known in sports. You know, at, at the end of the ball game at home at Six Seattle Stadium, I had to go down and do a post-game show. So Jimmy Dudley would finish up the game, so I would go down and sit and stand in the dugout there. And Schultz and I knew one another. He used to turn around 
the chance. The bud's going to taste good tonight. One of the few times that the pilots would win the game. And he had some great phrases, which <laughs> I can't repeat right now, but he, he was just a great human being. When the pilots went to Wisconsin, Shanley could have gone with them. Instead, he decided to stay in the Northwest. Opportunity came knocking almost immediately. Harry Glickman, who put together the Portland Trailblazers, he found out that I was available. You know, he called me and he said, how would you like to do uh, NBA basketball? Well, I had done everything else in the world, but I was too much involved in the NBA in those times. And I said, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I came down to Portland and uh, we talked and we shook hands. And that was 46 years ago. I'm still with the Blazer organization. Bill Shonley spent the rest of his career with the Trailblazers, including that team's 1977 NBA World Championship. But he still thinks about baseball and what might have been and what could still be. Just a shame that the Pilots and the city of Seattle couldn't put that situation together in those years. But the Mariners are there and they've had quite a run. I hope they have a great year this year. Let's all lift a cold one in memory of the Pilots and Schultze and hope it's going to taste good for Mariners fans on plenty of nights this season. I'm Felix Bennell for Cairo Radio. In the fourth inning for the Pilots, Wayne Comer, Steve Holdley, and Danny Walden. And the Pilots are still looking for that first base hit off the right-hander, Andy Mendelsohn. What got you interested in the Seattle Pilots? Well, I grew up here in Seattle. I was born in 1968. So when I was a little kid, the pilots were like the sort of mystical ghosts. I remember my friend Kenny next door, his dad had gotten him some kind of a pilot's pennant. And that was up on the, on the wall of his bedroom. And I don't know what it was. I mean, I remember asking about it and asking somebody, and someone tried to explain it. And this was before the Mariners. I really had no idea. I, I'd, I'm not a huge sports fan. I mean, I got really excited in 1995 about the Mariners. That was great. And I went to tons of Mariner games in the late 70s. The Seattle Times would give... Uh, Free tickets to honor students. I'm the youngest of nine kids. My eight <laughs> older siblings are all very smart, so we got tons of free tickets that my dad and I would take advantage of. So got to love the Mariners really early on. Didn't really understand them very well, but the pilots were just this sort of mystical thing. And as I morphed into becoming really focused on history as the, the work I do, this notion of the pilots, it's, it's almost perfect. The fact we had this one bizarre season in this bizarre ballpark that's no longer there right. with these all the players, pretty much every player on the roster was some kind of a very deep, deeply affected character. I mean, Jim Bowden, you know, who wrote Ball Four was on that team. And then the, the chance to, I guess I stumbled across an article about Bill Shonley. I didn't, didn't even know he was still alive, mm-hmm. you know, to be totally, completely truthful. So tracking him down and finding him, it was a, it was a joy to talk to, to him and hear his reminiscences of that very bizarre season that I would guess most people living in Seattle nowadays are, you know, maybe 70% have no idea we had yet another sort of uh, hard luck baseball team here. <laughs> well, that's what's so great about the story, because I feel the same way you do. I think a lot of people don't realize that the Seattle Pilots were here, and the Seattle Pilots directly led to the Mariners in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, because uh, in some way, I mean, depending how, how big a conspiracy theorist you believe, <laughs> I mean, I've had some people tell me, oh, the Pilots left town before they even played their first game here. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was a, it was this total scam to get a franchise in Seattle and move it somewhere that was more profitable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist person, but um, it's, it's just, it's so, 
there's so many great details about that story and that, the fact that when they did leave town, that the you know the, the, they had this contract because the people, the voters had approved building this huge stadium that would become the kingdom, and that was contingent upon having a team here. So when Major League Baseball allowed that team to leave, the, the course of action was the local government sued Major League Baseball and was awarded that other franchise, which of course became the Mariners, and they started playing in 1977. And you know that that the year from '69 to '77 when I was a little kid, that seemed like a really long time. Mm-hmm. But eight years is nothing. That would be like if the team had left in 2000. 2008, and we would got it in 2016. So really short little window between that one pilot season and that inaugural Mariners season. Is there anything that surprised you when you were looking into the pilots? You know, it's it seems, I mean, it is another era. That's what, 48 years ago yeah. now? 47 years ago? It's always, I always have a hard time doing math when there's a microphone in my face. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, but it's it's a different era. The They hear the, the the, the, the condition of that old stadium, the mm. six stadium played. I mean, it was built in the 30s, and it hadn't really been upgraded. The old concrete was cracked. The plumbing was terrible. All the seats were outdoors. I don't think any of the seats – there might have been some seats that were covered in the main grandstand mm-hmm. area. But it was just like it, – it's like a time machine. I, just, I would, And I know lots of people who are in, uh, slightly older than me, maybe people in their 50s and 60s, who went to several games at six stadium and hear them describe it. It's like something from just another world. It doesn't – most of my memories of baseball are in the kingdom. I've gone to just a handful of games at Safeco Field it's just because no one gives me free tickets anymore. <laughs> so, so I think about Seattle baseball. I think of those like awful uniforms from the 70s mm-hmm. and Rupert Jones. Everyone going, Rupert, Rupert, Rupert. And the notion of this outdoor ballpark that, you know, we eventually came around to after Camden Yards building all these vintage-style ballparks. Yeah. God, we had one. It was tiny, of course, but we had one, and we were playing old-school baseball in 1969 in Seattle with a major league team. That's just it, – it almost doesn't compute. No, it's amazing to think about. And for people that don't know where Sixth Stadium was, can you describe where yeah, it was? Yeah, it's down on uh, Rainier Avenue around McClellan. I think there's a Lowe's Home Improvement there now. So that was, and there was a, there were the famous hillside there that was called, uh, uh, what was it called? Cheapskate Hill, because there was a part of a place where you could walk up and sit and watch the game for free. And it was, that area was known as a garlic gulch. There were lots mm-hmm. of Italian people, Italian Americans living there in that day. So it's, it's this, you know, Seattle. People talk about how much Seattle has changed in the last five years, 10 years, 20 years. And it's true. Seattle mm-hmm. is this very vibrant place, which, thank God, Seattle has changed. Change is what Seattle thrives on. Mm-hmm. But you go back to 1969 and that little team playing in that bizarre stadium for that bizarre season, boy, it's really changed. Well, Felix, I've always been a huge fan of your work. I'm glad I got the excuse to call you. And this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. It was a great piece. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I think that was that was fantastic. And Felix does great work, so it was great to talk to him about it. Now it's Aaron Goldsmith. Uh, look at the Houston Astros with Brian McTaggart. Brian, the Astros are able to do something that they have not done all year. That is now win back-to-back games, looking for their third straight win tonight as the Mariners come to town. It seems like from what we've seen from the Astros, what we've also seen on paper, pitching has been such a problem for Houston. In your eyes, has that been the biggest issue for the Astros so far? Yeah, there's been several issues, but yeah, I, th- I think starting pitching, not pitching deep in the games. I mean, look, when you have the reigning Cy Young winner and he's struggling like he is, and you have Colin McHugh, a 19-game winner, not getting deep in the games, um, that's been the, the number one issue. That's put some pressure on the bullpen, I think, as well. Early in the season, it was hitting with runners in scoring position, and really just overall sloppy play, some bad base running, but um, I think the good patch we've had here over the last week or so, starting pitching stabilized a little bit, and that leads to a, a lot of different things clicking well. We marvel basically every series when the Mariners and the Astros meet at Jose Altuve. It just seems like he can't, you just can't pitch to this guy. He covers all of the plate. He's got incredible pull power. He can spray it all over the place. He's always ready to swing. 
What have you enjoyed the most over your time covering Jose Altuve, watching him play? Boy, he really has a lot of fun out there. And that's, uh, you know, I've seen him on a 111 loss team. I've seen him on a playoff team. And he uh, he relishes every time he's on that field. And you're right, his bat-to-ball skills, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, the guy's just, he's one of the best hitters. I was thinking about this the other day. He's just one of the best hitters I've seen. And, just, you know, he's 25 years old. You mentioned his pull power. He's, he's got two home runs now to right field. He's got eight home runs. So he's starting to hit the ball to all fields now, which just makes him that much more dangerous. But, um, he just keeps going every game, gets a couple of hits. Just just so much fun to watch, and he's on an amazing arc on his career, and you know, he, he could have a Hall of Fame-type career if he keeps this up. How has he improved defensively as you've seen him over the years? Yeah, he's gotten a lot better defensively. You know, his, uh, his hands have always been pretty good. His range has gotten better. He, he makes better decisions now. Of course, having Carlos, Beltra, uh, Carlos Correa at shortstop, mm-hmm. they've been fun to watch together. You know, and he he won the Gold Glove, and you know I don't know what the metrics say, and but, but watching Jose Altuve every day play second base, I think it was certainly warranted. His uh, his defense has improved with his offense and just all around game. Ken Giles has struggled out of the gate to begin this season, but man, it seemed like a given that Giles was going to be the closer. Luke Gregerson turns out to be the closer. Was this a surprise to you? Yeah, at the beginning of spring, you know, I think everybody was writing that Giles was going to be the closer. But towards the end of spring, you could see why they decided to go with Gregerson, the incumbent. I mean, Giles did not have a good spring. And um, and A.J. Hinch, I think, didn't feel very comfortable giving him the ball in the ninth inning. And, look, Gregerson's done a nice job. I mean, he did a nice job last year. He doesn't throw 100, but he's sinker slider, gets a lot of weak contact. And he's saved 15 games in a row dating back to August, so he's done a nice job. But, um Giles even struggled in a setup role here earlier in the year, and now he's pitching in what they call low-leverage situations. But I know that A.J. Hinch takes some solace in the fact that the stuff is still there. I mean, he's still throwing 97-98, still got the nasty slider. Stuff still looks good coming out of his hands. He's fallen behind some guys and had to throw some fastballs, and you know they've hit him 400 feet. So um, I don't think he felt comfortable here early on, and I think there were just a lot of things going on. But he's got two pretty clean outings under his belt now some point he's going to have to come in with the tie and run at third he's going to have to get him out uh, home runs have been a problem as well but um, I think the bullpen's good enough they can bring him along a little slow slowly now but um, so, sooner or later Ken Giles is going to get the ball at the game on the line he's going to have to produce for at least the last couple of years it seems like the Astros have led all of baseball in defensive shifts at the end of April they were leading baseball again this year suddenly the shifts aren't quite as noticeable because well, everybody's doing it not just the Astros but are the Houston Astros as analytically driven as they seem to be from afar? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, it's no accident they shift more than anybody. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they have enough smart guys in that room to, to have the data to where this is really working for them, and this this is taking away more outs than it's giving up. I know when it frustrates fans when a ball is hit the shortstop and Altuve is on the other side of second, but this is not an accident. This is really working for them, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves now that you know that everybody's doing it. On the flip side, I think one thing Astros are doing offensively now that everybody's shifting, some guys are starting to bunt for hits. Castro's done it a couple of times. Bob Buena's done it, uh, and they're encouraging that now in the right situations, the left-handers to maybe drop down a bunt and beat out some hits. So maybe that's something else we're going to have to uh, consider down the road. But, yeah, the Astros are at the forefront of it, and uh, they think it works for them. And, um, you know, you can't argue with the results so far defensively. Brian, it's always great to catch up. Thank you. So See you later. So much for the time. Anytime, Aaron. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.